This is the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you all the big match reaction with views from the press box, the dugout and the stands. It's a post-game special here on the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. We're going to look ahead to the start of the new season with a couple of our post-game contributors here on the Blood Red channel. Something slightly different, perhaps we could have called it pre-game rather than post-game. But I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Baker and Asim from Born and Red for this edition as we do look ahead to the new season. Chaps, thanks for joining me. Mark, I'll throw over to yourself first, a veteran of the post-game podcast. How have you been doing through the uh, summer hiatus and how much are you looking forward to the new campaign? Yeah, really looking forward to it, Guy. I think um, when there's when there's no football on the summer, it's does uh, the weekends aren't the same, really. You normally build your weekends around the games and obviously when they're not on, you do miss it massively. So, I'm, um, yeah, I'm delighted that I'll be back soon. Our team, what about yourself? How much are you looking forward to the new season? Obviously, it didn't quite end the way... Reds fans would have wanted last season with the Premier League heartache and, and what happened in Paris on the pitch as well as off the pitch. But I suppose equally that kind of whets the appetite more, that that kind of way in which you finish without the trophies being landed to, to rectify this season. Yeah, it does. But I like the way how you took a minute to uh, put that dig in me, uh, Guy, <laughs> about reminding me how the season ended. But uh, no, on a joking aside, uh, just waiting for the uh, football to start now. Really got an appetite for the new season. And uh, I was just saying to the lads before that, you know, we've started watching so many pre-season games. Normally you think, OK, let's dip in, in and out of pre-season games, see how the lads are getting on. Uh, but I think everybody is starved of football now and just looking forward to the new season um, to kick in. But... For the last, uh, you know, five, six weeks, at least uh, the missus has been happy. I've been staying at home. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk We'll talk transfers, we'll talk the season to come, but let's start on pre-season. Mark, how much do you read into it? Because there have been three games for Liverpool, Manchester United, what, 10 days into Liverpool's pre-season preparations, albeit it was three days into the returning internationals schedule. They've also played Crystal Palace, that forming the second leg of the, the tour out in the Far East in Singapore. And then they've taken on... Uh, RB Leipzig already with Red Bull Salzburg to come and, of course, the Community Shield and Strasbourg at Anfield. Can you read too much into it or is it a case now with Jurgen Klopp, how many times he's been through this with Liverpool? You trust the, the process and the manner in which he prepares Liverpool to be ready for that first game of the season? Yeah, yeah, Guy. Um, I don't really read too much into it at all, really, and I don't think the manager, manager would either. I mean, it's... Um essentially uh, a fitness exercise really for the players in, in pre-season that the manager will be looking at and the whether it's it's been a good pre-season or not the the only people who can just judge that is is the stuff that's going on behind the scenes really um from the coaching staff seeing the lads on a day-to-day basis obviously fitness wise you know how they're gelling as a team the tactical bits that they're doing behind the scenes probably and then what i would say is then Obviously, that's the early part of pre-season, but then I always think to myself with the, the, the charity shield in particular, I always think when you're playing one of your rivals, that is a game I, I, I like. I, I would ideally like to win. Um, just from a psychological perspective, really, I just think it's always good to start the season in a positive manner, but also just inflict a little bit of a psychological blow on your nearest rival, and on this occasion, obviously, Liverpool are playing Manchester City. So in that particular game, hopefully Liverpool will be 
ready uh, physically and then also uh, in a tactical shape that they can you know, get the best of Manchester City in that one. But before it, absolutely not much, to be honest, Guy. I read very little into the rest. Yeah, what about you saying yourself, Asim? You were talking there, kind of, I suppose we do look an awful lot sometimes into to pre-season, the minutiae of wondering what it might mean. A number of Manchester United fans in particular were very lively off the back of that first result out in Thailand. But this week, Liverpool have, have beaten RB Leipzig 5-0 and Darwin Nunez getting four goals in that game. Seemed more like maybe what you'd actually expect from Liverpool. Oh, of course, Guy, of course. And like you said, United fans were very busy on Twitter. Um, when the, you know those compilations came out, but like, I agree with Mark. You know, normally you don't s- sort of read too much into the preseason talk. Um, you just let the coaching staff and the manager get on with it. A lot of the times, the big main players join the squad later on. But I think this season was slightly different uh, for Liverpool. We've seen that sort of, you know, that all classic top three sort of disintegrated in terms of Mane leaving for Bayern Munich. And this season, was all the fans was thinking, how are Liverpool going to integrate the big man up front? So I think that's why there's been a bit more interest uh, in Liverpool's pre-season uh, than before. And even from the opposing fans and even amongst you know our own fan base, we've lost a massive, massive legend. And uh, it was always intriguing on a personal level and you know amongst the fans to see how, you know, so I'm just reading to lots some small clues of how we're going to tweak our system, how we're going to make sort of small adjustments uh, in making sure Nunes, first of all, adapts to our system uh, and also we adapt to his system. And I think, you know, uh, with Man United, you can't read too much into it. United were around about seven to ten days ahead of us in terms of fitness. And I think you started seeing Liverpool, you know, cr- you know, crank up that fitness uh, meter up with the, the Palace game. And then especially the, the biggest clue uh, and the sort of game that, you know, was really looking like Liverpool of itself uh, was the Leipzig game. Uh, you know, the first half we saw Liverpool really look like the old school Liverpool. Uh, and then the big man came up front and we saw those little clues of how the likes of Salah will start playing with him and then the likes of Cavalio and Elliot, uh, in, you know, integrating into that system and supporting the big man up front. So I think the Leipzig game was a big clue, um, you know, in terms of how we're going to set up and how... You know, the adjustments will sort of play out in Liverpool's formation as well. Um, and like, like Mark said, you know, now it sets up it was a great, you know, for the Salzburg game and then uh, next Saturday with our main rival. And I agree, you know, that is a community shield. It is a, more of a, uh, you know, hype, hyped up friendly, if you like, but, you know, with the trophy. But I think we need to win that because going into the season, the first week is important now because that is the level, you know, and if we can get that first psychological boost, uh, an edge over our main rival, then brilliant. Yeah, those clashes between City and Liverpool do always seem absolutely crucial. And, and even, I suppose, going back to 2019, Mark, I'm, I'm pretty sure in saying that was the last time the two sides met in the community, Shield up off the back of City, obviously doing the unprecedented domestic treble, Liverpool winning the Champions League and finishing second. It was a one-all draw that went to penalties, but you could tell, you could sense even in the build-up to that, neither side wanted to blink and, and give the other any kind of advantage. Yeah, I think so, Guy. I think, obviously, these two teams have, have been head-to-head for a, a number of years now, have fantastic players in all positions around the field, and obviously they have the absolute elite of, of, of managers. So I think what you don't want to get into a situation is where you suffer potentially a, a poor defeat. 
um, gets out of control a little bit, gets out of your hands a little bit in terms of the results, and it starts uh, negatively impacting the start of the season. Because whether you whether you like it or not, players will say that you know it's pre-season, it doesn't matter, or you might look at it from the outside. I, f- I fail to believe that it wouldn't be the case that psychologically if if a team was to get the upper hand on on the other so early in the season i just think it gives them a little bit of a confidence boost and and obviously sets the direct uh, opponents slightly um negatively for the start of the season which is is not what you want i mean listen if, if liverpool was to get beaten in, in the charity shield it's not the end of the world that's the reality of the situation but i think because of how these teams are at this moment in time and how little the gaps are I think any sort of advantage that you can take into a season is, is always a good one really Yeah I have to say I think I think the microscope is going to be out even more this season with the way in which the season splits before and after the World Cup to, that start to the season is, is really going to be crucial we'll be interesting to see how both sides do cope with it but as even in terms of pre-season then how it's been going for Liverpool you mentioned the big win the big man Darwin Nunez arriving and, and playing his part certainly against Leipzig in pre-season there's been a couple of other signings Calvin Ramsey we get to see but Fabio Carvalho has come in and looked quite lively I want to talk to you guys about who maybe will be the breakthrough start for Liverpool this season and, and whether it'll be one of those new boys or, or whether there's somebody within the squad maybe a Curtis Jones or or such who can actually be the person to take their game to the next level this season yeah, look, every fan has been sort of saying, look, Curtis Jones is going to make that next jump now. And that's been, that sort of has been the question for the last couple of seasons. And we sometimes tend to forget Curtis Jones is still only 21. So he's still got a lot of developing to do. Uh, but if in terms of, you know, the new signings, I think it's a, a sort of a, to, a, cost, a, a toss of coin between Harvey Elliott and Fabio Cavallio, who for Fabio Cavallio, incidentally, gives me so much Philippe Coutinho vibes, um, the way he sort of takes the ball, the way he drops the shoulder, the way he turns uh, and he plays that into, into that sort of half space. Um, and well, if you want me to choose one, I think it's going to be Harvey Elliott. Just purely in the basis of, I think, that right-sided midfield is slightly up for grabs, especially when you consider the likes of Henderson, uh, who I think is going to start playing a bit more into the you know the number six role uh, and interchanging with the, you know the likes of Fabinho, and I think the way he, he sort of what he gives us is gives us a, a totally different dynamic uh, on that right side, and we saw uh, you know bits of it last season and how he came into the the side and the way he was playing with Salah and Trent uh, and himself, and it built a, an absolute brilliant triangle on that side, and so many goals came uh, you know through that sort of side. And it, it allowed, you know, Trent to come into that space, into midfield and sort of, you know, pull the strings, if you like. So if you want me to choose one, I think it's Harvey Elliott. From the new signings, you know, Fabio Cavallio, I think he's going to be an absolute brilliant, brilliant uh, player. I think he's not a, a signing for right now. He's uh, uh, for the future. He's a signing for right now. And don't let the fee sort of, you know, think, you know, he's just a bit part player. He's got a big, big role. And if you've got the trust of someone like Jurgen Klopp, then, you know, you must be a special player. And, you know, I think in terms of his versatility, I think, you know, plays a big role as well in terms of how many chances he's going to get. And there's a lot of talk of Liverpool playing in this sort of 4-2-3-1 formation. Personally, I don't see it a lot, happening a lot, even though it might happen in sort of during the games. But as a stock formation, I think Klopp, and his coaching staff really like that 4-3-3 formation. So if Cavallio is going to come, 
he needs to oust someone like Thiago in that formation, which is not going to be easy, especially when you consider the uh, you know how much we sort of like to control the games through uh, Thiago and how much of an integral part he is to that. But I think he has still got the versatility to play from you know the left side, and especially when you consider you know the uh, the, the Jota injury recently, it might give him more opportunities from that left. He's not going to be a Sadio Mane. He's not going to be. Uh, uh, Luis Diaz, he'll play that role differently. He'll come and play it more of an inverted role and play that sort of uh, number 10, uh, even in a 4-3-3 formation. But I think we've got really big hopes uh, of Cavalio. But I think just for the opportunities and that sort of right-sided dynamic, I think Harvey Elliott, you could see a really big season for him. The post-game podcast on the Blood Red Channel. I'm really sense the excitement in your voice there and, and, and the smile trying to crack across your face talking about Fabio Carvalho <laughs> and, and what he can bring to Liverpool. Mark, you love looking kind of really deep into kind of the setups and the formations and, and the, the dynamics with which Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool do set up. What do you see for the midfield this season? As we say, Carvalho's getting put in there. There is Jones, there's Elliot. There's all these youngsters vying to try and break through, but seems as though... The midfield is evolving from from what it once was, and, and maybe as Asim said, going back to being able to to kind of have room for a player like Philippe Coutinho. Yeah, I think so, Guy. I mean, like Asim said, I think he made some some really good points there. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about maybe you know Liverpool switching formation and that kind of thing, and like like you say, going to a, a four two three one. And I think it's important that the reason I think people are saying this is because. Obviously, you've got a, a different kind of number nine. So when you've got a number nine who plays higher on the pitch, obviously you're losing a body out of that central area of the field. And at elite level football, that's the area you want to control the most. And that's where Liverpool have had great success with Firmino acting as an extra body in there. And you even think about you know some of the great sides in, in sort of history when you think of Guardiola with his inverted fullbacks at times, Messi dropping in as a false nine. I even remember in his last season at Barcelona, he played a, a box with Fabregas. Uh, Thiago coming in there as well so that control of that central area is, is paramount and, and how Liverpool go about incorporating Nunes and whether they, they, they change it slightly to incorporate him, we'll wait and see, I mean Liverpool have obviously used a, a 4-2-3-1 at times there's no doubt about that in the last couple of seasons but it's normally in games in which they're, they're chasing a goal or they're in total control of the game which means that they haven't had to really uh, adopt any different sort of tactics in terms of, you know, the the pressing systems that they're having to adopt, the the angles of the the movements of the players in conjunction with each other. All of which means that I still feel that it will probably be a four three three. I feel that for the majority of the time, I can't see see sort of past that because when you've had such great success as Klopp and Liverpool have, and you're so ingrained and the player movements are so ingrained on a day-to-day basis, I do think that that will still be the primary. But yeah, um, going back to the midfield players guy, and that sort of falls into that as well, because we've mentioned three of the players there, obviously Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones and, and Fabio Carvalho. And the interesting thing for me is within the systems is where you're actually at best fits for these players, because I'm a big fan of, of all the players. I mean, I've seen less, obviously, of Carvalho, but what I have seen, you know, looks to have really good vision and like Asim said as well, you know, sort of that um, hybrid between a midfield and a forward player like Coutinho was and Liverpool have obviously missed that kind of player. Um, and at the back end, obviously, when Coutinho 
before he left Liverpool, he was actually playing that position quite a lot in the inside left position, slightly higher in the midfield three. So that might be the plan uh, for Carvalho. But that directly links to Curtis Jones as well, because you you probably believe that that's Curtis Jones's best position. So for me, it's almost they're, they're in direct competition with each other if Liverpool are to keep that 4-3-3 system. And I'm a massive fan of Curtis Jones. I think he's an, an absolute talent, no question about it. Fantastic traveller with the ball, protects the ball. Um, under pressure, all kinds of pressure doesn't maintain possession, but I just feel he's got more to add in that final third. I mean, you've actually probably seen a lot more of that guy, sort of in the in the youth sides and stuff like that. I know he's played higher off the left, and I think the next thing for Curtis Jones will be what he can add to the final third at elite level. Because at this moment in time, everything's tidy, fantastic in possession, fantastic progressing the ball. But what has he got in terms of that that next step? But I, I'm a massive fan. And finally, obviously, Harvey Elliott. Again, the interesting thing about all these players, all three of them is, that you could potentially argue that their best positions could have been in a, a wide position as part of the front line. But actually, because of the way Liverpool play, and obviously they get the height in the team from the, the wide players who have to have you know, the profile of being at great acceleration, able to, to threaten space in behind, Klopp's had to sort of adjust the position of, say, Harvey Elliott to sort of an inside right position. And it wasn't a position I initially seen him being adopted to. But when you actually look at it and you think to yourself, he hasn't actually got the profile to play out wide for Liverpool. So, again, like Ashley said, I think obviously in that inside right position, I think that will be the area in which you probably see him getting game time. But I, I do believe it's almost a direct competition between the three of them to see who gets the most minutes, who impresses Klopp the most, and then jumps ahead in the pecking order. And the success of one might be to the detriment of, of the other in there in terms of the minutes they, they play on the field. Yeah, Mark, just, so, go, uh, Mark, just to come in for, uh, into that, in terms of Curtis Jones, I agree, he's an absolute, in terms of natural ability, he's got everything. Uh, the way he picks up the ball, the way he progresses, the way he runs into spaces. And, you know, he's got a trick or two as well. Um, yeah, I agree to an extent he needs to sort of bring an end product to his game. But in that midfield, in a 4-3-3, I think he's going to find it very, very difficult to come and find uh, get a place, like you said, in, in the front three, just because of the array of talent that we have. So in that sort of the left side, you know, to the uh, Fabinho, if he's going to get into that, which I believe that's his best position as well. Do you think he needs to improve and develop his off-the-ball awareness if he's already going to, you know, get himself into the team? Well, listen, ask him, it's a great question. And I think that the thing is about, and this is what makes it difficult for Curtis Jones as well, is if he's playing as, as that sort of inside left midfield player, it's a completely different profile, isn't it? So Thiago starts starts yeah. to build up deep. He becomes that you know second man in the in the build up phase in the defensive phase, and basically sets the tempo for how Liverpool are able to progress the ball up the field. Where Curtis Jones is less well, it's less natural for him to go and do that to seek the ball in the deeper areas. He's yeah. probably played most of his his youth career in much higher areas, and Liverpool yeah. have to then adopt the game. But what I've been really impressed about Curtis Jones is. I think he has got the ability to do that. I just believe that it's probably an unnatural one for him and Liverpool have to change the way they play if they mm -hmm. are playing with Curtis Jones in there as opposed to Thiago. Or what they could potentially do, I suppose, is if you are playing Curtis Jones there, play a more controlling player as that right-sided player so that balances it off. Um, yeah. 
in terms of that. But listen, I, I, you know, I, I do agree potentially. I mean, you know, it is a, a different role than what he's been used to and probably a more dis- disciplined role that he's had to play in his youth career. So I think, and you made a great point before, by the way, about him being, you know, did, is he 21 years of age? Yeah. Because, you know, people forget. I mean, I, I liken him a lot, Curtis Jones, to Jack Grealish. I think he's got a similar sort of profile in the way he travels with the ball and mm. can play that sort of high left position. But actually, Jones has adapted in his short career to be able to play for, in a Liverpool midfield. I mean, there can't be any higher compliment than that and get mm. picked by a manager. So massive potential in there. Um, and again, like you said, I think sometimes the judgments, I mean, to be playing for Liverpool at 21 years of age and, you know, playing a role that isn't isn't your natural one coming through the youth system, it's testament to what a talent he is. But yeah, in terms of having to improve certain elements, absolutely. And it's probably just the case of experience in that in that position, really, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, I personally, I, I go along with what Mark says there in terms of Curtis Jones. I think for a youngster, he's done an incredible job maybe in, in battling his natural instincts. Actually, I think if he, Carvalho and Elliot, is probably the most defensively aware of them, which for young players can often be the last thing to come for them and the hardest thing them to develop and and get to grips with and I think that the 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 balance around the Liverpool midfield with the nine options that they've got but certainly with the younger options they have actually moving forward if you look beyond when James Milner's at the club beyond when Jordan Henderson's there when Thiago's time comes to move on as well you've got a blend there of three players who you you need far more than three players to play certainly in a demanding midfield like Jurgen Klopp commands and actually moving forward, it, it, it looks as though Liverpool are in safe hands there with maybe two very offensive options in Carvalho and Elliot. And, and Jones, a player who's actually shown a lot of adaptability to, to fit in and be versatile to pretty much whatever role Jurgen Klopp is asking him to fulfil. Not too dissimilar, in my opinion, to Gini Wijnaldum and how he kind of came in as an attacking midfield player and naturally then, through work on the training ground, obviously became a very functional midfield player. Game podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Asim, of course, you're a you're a big match going red as well. When you saw last season firsthand, how many times we've spoken about the change of formation? How many times in that kind of back end of the season as Liverpool were battling on all fronts and had that vast array of attacking options on the bench open to Jurgen Klopp, how he was able to change system, shape and course of a game by throwing extra attackers onto the pitch. Of course, Nunez has has now arrived as a centre-forward, but Mane, Minamino, Origi have gone. What's your kind of feeling on actually how impactful that was for last year of having all those attacking options and being able to change games? And actually, maybe now it's changed with Nunez being a, a natural, real focal point at the top end of the pitch, but maybe not having quite the vast array of options that, that Liverpool have to change games. And of course, this year, do have five subs? Yeah, look, I, I kind of agree, uh, Guy. Uh, we had massive, massive options. At times, you had Bobby. And Jota on the bench. Uh, there's so many games. Klopp came and made some changes. I think one sticks out is the Inter Milan game, where you know Inter Milan were really good in the first half. We've made some changes. Three and Klopp, generally speaking, is not well. You know, if you judge him by the first four or five years at Liverpool, he wasn't that type of manager where he throw three subs on at half time. He just wasn't. Um, and but if you've got the options and you can utilize them, then brilliant. Um, Yes, you know, in terms of Taki and Origi, who was an absolute, you know, uh, legend of a figure at Liverpool for many, many, you know, different reasons as well, as well as his on-field 
uh, you know, uh, um, antics on the on the field. But yes, I kind of agree. You're gonna obviously miss that quality in Taki and Narigi because especially those players. And we just we'll come to Mane for in a second. Those players they didn't get many opportunities, but when they did, they made a, an impact. And how many times have you heard Jurgen Klopp? Um, and there was a lovely moment when we we won the um, I think it was the FA Cup final, and he he, he took the trophy to the fans uh, at Wembley, and Henderson told him, "Look, go," because that was very very sort of uh, symbolic. It was him telling him, "Look, you made just as a bigger the part that you you know for just compared to the the rest of the team, and we shouldn't forget what he did, you know, in the games like Leicester at home, where we you know he he, he just equalised in the last minute um, on, of the on that night." Uh, and we're going to miss their impact. Of course, they bought goals and they bought, you know, many other things. But I think in, in terms of Mane going as well, he was an absolute legend. And any team in the world is going to miss Sadio Mane. Let's just, you know, it's plain and simple. But I think every team, it needs to refresh. It needs to bring in players. And I think Liverpool have shown and got a track record of replacing their players. Uh, and Jurgen Klopp and his coaching staff have known for you know, the best part of six months now that Sadio is leaving. And I think they've made plans. And you cannot play the exact same way all the time. And we've just seen a similar sort of refresh at Manchester City. And everyone is talking about Sadio Mane and the amount of people, and Man United fans specifically messaged me on that day, like they won, they won the league. Because you could sense the relief in, you know, in the rest of the league as well when Sadio Mane. And it just shows you you know, it epitomizes what type of player and the respect he earned, you know, across the league. And of course, you're going to miss that player because on the big day, he was absolutely brilliant. Whether, well, let me rephrase that. Where any game, he was brilliant, especially on the big day. And his sort of ability to sort of come and demand the ball um, and get the big goal on the big day, even his heading ability, for example, was very, very underrated. And so, you know, I, I can't reiterate the fact that we're going to miss him. But I think, like I said, every team needs to refresh and bring that, uh, you know, uh, ref uh, new sort of dynamic to the team. And in terms of Carvalho, uh, Ramsey is going to be, you know, a, a backup to Trent. We all know he's going to take a bit of time and even to get in. Well, he will get his opportunities and he'll have a different role into the team. But coming on Nunes, I think, like Mark touched on, he's going to be a different player. Are we going to play the same way when he? You know, sort of, you know, is in the in 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 the number nine position. We're not going to play the same way. But does it mean that we're less threatening? No, because what we'll do is we'll make sure we get the support to the big man, and we'll make sure he sort of makes adjustment adjustments to our team. Uh, and you know, the other players like Trent. And in preseason, I was touching on the little clues of what we're going to see in the season. Trent in preseason is playing even higher, and he's rather than finding himself in that sort of sixth position and you know pulling the strings from there he's find found himself probably five ten yards even higher into the pitch and playing as an eight so you can expect that sort of Trent and Nunes link up more um you know this season and I think we saw bits of it when Salah was on the pitch for about 10-15 minutes and we saw we go along we go along and Nunes is not going to be the same sort of player when Bobby plays we're going to you know when Bobby comes you sort of plays in that false nine position and is the catalyst to bring in people and interacting, interchanging with people and bringing in space in behind for our wiggers, you know, with the likes of Diaz and Salah, uh, especially running into that space. 
But when Nunes is on the pitch, we're going to make the big, big picture, uh, a big, a big uh, pitch bigger. And we're going to have to go along at times to keep defenses honest. But we're going to, it's going to be, it's not going to be, he's just not, a, I don't want to mention him, his name, but even though I should show a bit of respect to his name, you know, sort of Andy Carroll comparisons where people say he's just a, you know, a 90 million, 100 million Andy Carroll. He's got a lot more to his game. And we will see him and Salah and the likes of Diaz interchanging at times because our Benfica he used to play on the left with another striker. So he's got a lot more to his game. Uh, I've full full trust in Klopp uh, and his coaching staff. You're making sure we make the tweaks and the adjustments, uh, and I'm looking forward to it because we'll see um, a less predictable Liverpool. A lot of people said is we double up on uh, Salah um, and you know Mane, and you've got Liverpool because their sort of midfield is slightly pedestrian uh, and it's not going to bring goals and assists, which was a fair argument. But in this now, the likes of Cavalio and Elliot and Nunes. I think it brings a slightly different dynamic to our team, uh, and we've seen him, you know, in, in, in uh, pre-season, just like the Leipzig game. The first half was old-school Liverpool, where Bobby was coming to the space and linking with players. And second half, you saw, you know, how Liverpool will set up with Nunes. So look, I'm looking forward to it. I don't think we are obviously going to miss Mane, but I think we're going to bring something new to our uh, to our game. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be up there, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, most definitely. Mark, in terms of then Liverpool's attack, the main man again, Mohamed Salah signed that new contract during the off-season. Sadio Mane has gone, but I suppose whilst Nunez does kind of bed in and adapt to life at Liverpool, there's more responsibility on Mohamed Salah to do what he does, but he's coming in with a full pre-season under his belt. Yeah. Absolutely, Guy. I mean, Sadio Mane has been an absolutely fantastic player for Liverpool and an and absolute elite player in terms of, of where level for, for a long time, obviously, since since arriving at Liverpool. But the reality is Salah's a better player than Mane. It, it, the, the, the numbers don't lie. As as great as, as Sadio Mane is, and Liverpool had to keep Salah out of the two players, in my opinion. I mean, he, he's almost dominating the attacking sort of metric categories in a way Leo Messi does in terms of chances created, touches in the opposition box, actual goals. I know De Bruyne is also up there in certain creativity boxes. But when you've got a player who's that valuable, I just think Liverpool just couldn't afford to, to lose him. Um, and yeah, absolutely, obviously going in with a with a, a full pre-season. The other thing about Manny is, and I think in relation to obviously Liverpool allowing him to, to move on at this time, is Liverpool obviously brought in Luis Diaz as well to play on that left-hand side. And Diaz, for me, has been absolutely fantastic for Liverpool. In fact, I, I think he's got the potential to, to be a Salah. I think he's that good. I think he's got the potential to be to be the best player in the league. Um, and obviously bringing him into that position meant that Manny then got shifted into the central area. And Manny is still a top, top player, absolutely. And inside the penalty area and the runs he makes and... Um, his awareness to be able to be in positions to decide the outcome of games remains. But the all-round game of Manny, I felt it dropped from the peak of a few years ago. And I also think that for that reason as well, it was probably with the, the age profile being very similar between him and Salah, I think I felt it was probably a good sale for Liverpool at the time, in, in reality, looking at it now. Um, obviously, he'll still go on to do very well for, for Bayern Munich, but with Liverpool having acquired Diaz there, and Salah also being left-footed, playing off the right-hand side, 
them kind of players are more difficult to find. Obviously, you know, there's a, a bigger pool of players you can select from and Liverpool have managed to do so in Diaz and Jota to almost replace Manny already. So for me, yeah, Salah, absolutely best player in the league. The numbers stack it up. Obviously, the the, the eye test as well um, and will be the most important player in Liverpool's final third, as he has been since he, since he's arrived at the club, really. And, you know, his productivity could well decide how well Liverpool do this season, I suppose. Right, yeah, that's kind of as, as as having spoken about kind of what's been in the current state right now of Liverpool. We are only what a couple of weeks away from the the season having got underway. Let's talk as a, a month and a week or so, five weeks or so left of the transfer window until it closes. Liverpool, of course, did all their business very early. I have to say, commend them for that. I think actually they've maybe done the best business in the Premier League of making sure they're sorted before the, the, the team report back for pre-season. But they're not winning any favours probably on social media for that approach. Do you still feel there's need for other players to come in? <laughs> it's a million-dollar question. Look, our manager was very emphatic in a couple of interviews in the last week. And he said, look, why do we need a new midfielder? Um, everybody has got Jude Bellingham. <laughs> on their lips and if if I'm really if I if you want a yes or no from me I, I'd say yes we need um sort of that dynamic uh, midfielder whether he's a destroyer uh, whether he's got goals and assists in him it's brilliant and Jude Bellingham sort of generally brings all those attributes uh, to our midfield and I think the sort of shoe and many link um I think personally, I think we would have got uh, many if it wasn't for the Mbappe deal uh, falling through and uh, Real Madrid went big on him and, and he sort of outpriced us, uh, if you like. But I think with our short, uh, sort of recruitment team, they've always be, have a, a track record of, um, you know, having been a settled targets. And we generally, whoever we want, we get uh, and we sort of outline our plans and we have a short list of players. Um, and if you sort of look at our midfield, in terms of numbers, guys, we're, we're OK. You know, if you look at the numbers, uh, and especially uh, if you sort of cons consider Liverpool playing that 4-2-3-1 formation at times during games, it sort of lessens the pressure uh, of uh, of a midfielder because it, it allows us to play an extra attacker. So if you sort of put all those things in, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the pool, then I think, you know, we're OK. But I think there's too many question marks against our midfielders in terms of fitness. Ox has already got injured. Naby, how many times has he gone throughout a season without an injury? Thiago, he picks up a couple of injuries a season. Fabinho picks up injuries. Henderson picks up injuries. So I can run through that midfield and all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting guarantees from every, more or less, you know, 70, 80 percent of that list. So I think if you really want me to, you know, give you an answer, I think we do need a midfielder. But do you, do do I believe we still have enough to really have a go? Look, you know, we only missed out on the league and the Champions League on the uh, sort of five minutes of a madness from Manchester City, and you know, we all know what happened in Paris. So everything is not, you know, you know, it's, it's not a disaster, you know. So if we don't sign a midfielder, and we've seen some links of this Nunes fella. Uh, from Sporting Lisbon and is a similar profile uh, of a player that we've been, you know, sort of really, uh, you know, dim, uh, talking about. So if Liverpool bring a midfielder, then brilliant. I think if we do, it makes us favourites for the title. If we don't, then I still believe it's nip and tuck uh, and it could be decided by a game or two. And that's how close we are. 
post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel. It is crazy, isn't it, Mark? Kind of how 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 big the transfer window can still be in in sort of deciding what does happen. I mean, you look at the, the rest of the rivals who will contend with Liverpool and maybe we can discuss if if any of the other big six sides can maybe join Man City and being realistic challengers and, and rivals to Liverpool for winning that Premier League title. But a number of them, maybe other than Tottenham, are still looking to do business, included in that is Manchester City, who themselves have, have had quite a lot of a rebuild to do. If you take out Sadio Mane from Liverpool, that's one thing. But when you consider they've lost the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Fernandinho has also gone as to has Raheem Sterling. There's quite a big proportion of that team with Sergio Aguero having moved on last season as well, but they're still rebuilding their own next version, as it were. Yeah, be, be interesting actually, Guy, because I'm a big fan of, of, of Gabriel and Raheem Sterling. Um, I think they're excellent players and have been brilliant for Manchester City, especially Sterling in particular. And the one thing both of them players do is they, they threaten space in behind, they make penetrative, penetrative runs in between centre-half and full-back and obviously City are losing that slightly from them wide areas because I know obviously Gabriel plays a lot from, from the right-hand side as well so so they are losing them kinds of players now if you think about obviously the players they, they still have they have Jack Grealish who's a great carrier of the ball as we talked about with Curtis Jones before and Riyad Mahrez who's really good one, 1v1 when he's got the ball at his feet but they are veering away slightly from the, the kind of players that I just talked about and it'll be interesting to see actually because so often them kind of players the Gabriels, the Raheem Sterling they are on the end of a lot of the good work that Manchester City are able to do in that final third and they've got that real killer instinct that smell for a finish even though Gabriel is not as, as clear cut in terms of taking the opportunities but get so many so it will be it will be a change because obviously Manchester City have then brought in two sort of central players, which is slightly different from the ones who are going out. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe a little change in the way they they go about things, but still fantastic players though. <laughs> Let's make no make no bones about that. I mean, listen, two great players have gone out, but the, you know they've gained some excellent ones and still have some remaining as well. I suppose that's the difference, though, isn't it? As I mean, in the transfer market, that's left is. As you were saying there with a the midfielder, if Liverpool can maybe get a midfield player, albeit probably not expected until maybe they look to, to upgrade and renew the midfield next summer window and reports and speculation, obviously seeing if, if maybe Liverpool would look to do sort of a similar thing with that they did with Naby Keita for bringing in Bellingham, albeit unlikely because there is no set release clause in that contract for him. But Liverpool don't have a need to do business. Man City clearly do. I mean, Alexander Zinchenko's also moved out. And whilst Cancelo is a brilliant player at left fullback, he is pretty much the only option they've got there. Brighton have rejected a bid for Mark Kukurea. Liverpool, as I say, set. The others, Chelsea in particular, disarray is probably too strong a word to say, but there is a lot, lot to do at these other clubs. Oh, of course, of course. And I think that's why, you know, we, we Liverpool fans are at peace because, you know, we don't need to do business and that's probably the best sort of position to be in the transfer market because when you don't need to you don't play inflated prices uh, and you pick the right sort of players and more importantly the right characters as well um so when you do need to go for a player you think okay fine this this lad really wants to join us uh, and i think that's liverpool that's what they've done with the likes of cavallo and 
uh, Nunes and, and Ramsey. In terms of other teams, you're right. Uh, I saw bits of that match actually yesterday, and Arsenal really looked really, really good. Um, um, I think Arsenal, uh, Chelsea. Look, they've done um, Rudiger. I think you know you can't underestimate the, the fact that how much of a leader Rudiger was in that team, uh, and not only a great player in that system because the way Tuchel plays that sort of three four one two or at times it's a three four three. He used to be a a, th- a third centre back, a left sided centre back, and he used to come into midfield and you know be ready you know in control of things on the ball. So I think just as a never mind as a player, as a a character off the pitch, they really, really will miss uh, the likes of Rudiger and even Christiansen, who's left for Barcelona as well, but especially Rudiger. And I know they bought Koulibaly, who's an experienced player, and he'll suit that sort of three centre-backs system. And Sterling, like Mark said, he's a, he's a really good addition. But I think, for, you know, if you're going to go through the other teams, I think Man United, I need them the most, you know, sort of injection of players in the transfer market. And I know... A lot can happen from now until until the end of the season, um, but in terms of implementing his sort of style on that team, Ten Hag really needs that architect or the controller in midfield, and, and that's why it's been a massive, massive, bizarre uh, transfer affair in the in the, in, in their chase of uh, you know De Jong from Barcelona. But I think if they get him, um, you know they'll be they'll be sort of um, they'll be they feel, feeling good uh, for having a, a run for at top four. But I think Tottenham, they've done some, done some decent business. And we were talking about that destroyer and that dynamic midfielder that Liverpool's at times lack. Uh, and where, especially when Fabinho's out of the team, is uh, Bissouma. I think he's a, a really, really good addition. And I've seen him a couple of times uh, at Anfield. And uh, he's, he's a good player. He's a good player. And I think he's more than capable of playing for a, a top four, top six side and I think Tottenham will be very happy with their business as well as well as Liverpool uh, I think Cucurella will go through I think by end of the transfer window I think City will get it over the line they wouldn't have I think let Zinchenko go if they thought they couldn't get him over the line um, which leaves uh, Arsenal and I, like I said I saw yesterday I think their front three I think is exactly what Arteta has been wanting in that sort of 4-3-3 high press formation. Um, there was a lot of critics uh, targeted towards Lacazette at the end of the season because he wasn't bringing goals uh, in, sort of into that into the um, you know style and game. But I think in Jesus, it could be arguably the best business that any team has done in terms of what he br- will bring into the team, in terms of bringing people in uh, and running him behind as well. I think he's very underrated and I've seen him a couple of times uh, away and home last season especially and I think there's not many players who give our centre-backs uh, a headache and you know Gabriel Jesus was definitely a striker that gave our centre-backs and I think for a small fella his aerial ability and hold the ball uh, in, in in terms of ability and holding the ball is very very underrated and uh, so look so many teams have got business to do but I think the likes of Arsenal and Spurs Will be fairly happy uh, because I, I do see them, especially Arsenal, uh, Arsenal bringing in uh, at least one more player. But I think in that Chelsea, you were touching on Chelsea. I think their players and that system. I think they will sign a few more players, maybe another midfielder uh, and an attacker. But I think Chelsea are reliant in that system on their fullbacks. And when Chilwell and uh, Reese James do not play, 
they just do, they look at a different side. Um, and especially if you want your fullbacks playing high uh, and making those, uh, you know, contributions higher up the pitch. When they and Chilwell and Reese James were sort of injured for large parts of last season, especially Chilwell. Um, so I think for Chelsea fans, keeping players fit, you know, it will be their priority. And you know, similar for Arsenal as well. When you have the likes of Partey in midfield, and I think one game sticks out is against City last season, when Partey, you know, just destroyed City. And for large parts, how many teams are we seen, you know, dominate City on the ball? And and he was an integral part of that, you know, dominating them on the ball and being that sort of ball winner and recycling the ball in midfield. And I think for Arsenal, if the the front three and your defence have been, uh, you know, showed up this season, but I think keeping the likes of Partey fit is massive for you. Yeah, definitely right. Final one before we go. Then I won't I won't push you for predictions, but if you want to make any, you certainly can. Mark, do you see anyone joining? Liverpool and Man City, or is it a straight shootout between Klopp and Guardiola sides once again for the Premier League title? Yeah, I did think last season, Guy, because uh, I'm a massive fan of, of Tuchel and I felt Chelsea would be right up there last season. Never uh, materialised at the end. Obviously, they had problems in the in the final third. Um, so, automatically, I think to myself, because I rate them so much as a coach, I think Chelsea would be up there. But judging by the evidence of last season, you'd probably say not. Conte is a fantastic manager, which gives Tottenham obviously a better, a better chance. But I don't believe that they've acquired, even though they've they've signed some some good players. I don't believe they've acquired the kind of players which would allow them to get closer to Manchester City and Liverpool. So, an answer to your question, no. <laughs> no fair enough, Asim. What about yourself? For you mentioned before, a midfielder would would push Liverpool over the line. Do you see anyone else challenging? And do you think Liverpool can? And Pip City as it is right now today. The season started tomorrow. Right now, look, I, I'm I'm a red. I'm going to back my team all the time. So <laughs> Liverpool first. If you want my top four prediction, uh, guy, uh, and if anyone's going to challenge, I'm. They may cl- bridge the gap. They may bridge the gap in terms of the signings that the other teams made, and it'd be interesting to see if Liverpool and City can get you know that ninety plus you know and try to break that hundred. Uh, point, you know, barrier again, which I think is going to be that. That's the sort of level now. These teams first, uh, you know, it's so the level, the, the bar is so high now. Where if in week two is someone, you know, draws a game, you think, wow, you know, this could be crucial in terms of winning or losing. Is is that mad? But it's just the quality that and the managers and the teams that we've seen, we've never seen it before. So in terms of bridging the gap on, through the signings that other teams have made. Yes, but in terms of challenging, I, I don't think so because I think it'll, it'll take another two, three windows for other teams to really, really have a go at the, at the teams and I think it's just a, a two-horse race again. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it does eventually play out. As I say, though, not long now to go this time next week. The Community Shield will have been Liverpool be taking on Strasbourg, the final dress rehearsal ahead of the start of the Premier League season away at Fulham for Liverpool. But thanks for joining us for this post-game special here on the Blood Red channel. Myself, Guy Clark, Asim from Born and Red and Mark Baker here talking through what we expect for the season to come for the Reds. Thanks for joining us and until next time, Bye for now. You've been listening to the post game podcast on the Blood Red Channel.